Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Madison Bumgarner grew up in a, in a farming community. In fact, he gave his wife a cow as a wedding present. And I walked up to him, uh, you know, because I needed to confirm this before doing Sports Center. I said, Look, I know you gave this animal to your wife. Was this a bull or was it a cow? And he looked at me with an absolute straight face. He goes, When I gave it to her, it was a bull, but now it's a steer. <laughs> <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. It's just great to talk to Buster only about cows. <laughs> I am Baseball's fine. It's fine. <laughs> cows, you know. I should read this now. I know your birthday is sometime in July. Exact date for me, unknown. I'm officially wishing you a happy birthday. So when this unknown date happens, you can say, DG, wish me a happy birthday. Regards, DG. It's great. The Hammer's very excited. Yes. We share a birthday. Well, every month the boys get to turn the calendar, and July means one thing. The birthday. Hammer's birthday. Yeah, well, June means one thing. Uh, two two things. Two now, yeah. yeah. You got all summer babies Captain. at that house. You got a new car. New Looks car. nice. Yeah, yeah we've lost all trunk space, uh, yeah. so we can now fit five or three car seats for a family of five. Uh, the little booster's all the way in the back of the third row. Is he happy in. back there? He's very happy. It's so far back, you make sure the air is getting to him. Right. Uh, but he's very happy. The amount of car seats that we now have floating around our house, <laughs> it's impossible to get them in. Yeah. But we I, had our, our exciting trip was we all went to the Georgetown Safeway. Was it nice? Did you have a good time? I, sure. At least the, the car has this the terrifying thing. This didn't happen for you. The biggest worry with the infant car seat is that for some reason your, your routine changes and you forget the car seat in the back of the car when it's hot outside. And now the car, when you put it into park, it's, it has a little beep and it goes, check rear seat. Oh, that's good. That's because good it gets too hot. It gets too hot. Oh, so you have to just run the engine for a little while. This and get is not like a dog where you put the sign up that says, like, don't worry, AC on. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, but it's a nice car. Thank it's a you. Toyota. Yes. Uh, th this is a Toyota, yes. Okay. Uh, Liz was always... Highlander. Highlander uh, with the captain seats. Very yeah, that's fitting. nice. Well, it's good because yeah. now you got the captain. Captain's got to have his own seat. <laughs> um, I have uh, some brief comments about the golf, the John Deere. It, it, it's simply this. So John Deere was won by J.T. Poston. It's his second win. He is like a hundred other guys on the tour. He's okay. He's fine. He has no personality whatsoever. And he's a fine golfer. He's not a threat. It doesn't seem at this point in his life to win five majors. Doesn't seem. Um, his fiance came out and hugged him after he won the tournament. He won it in style. He won it wire to wire, didn't he? He did. <clears throat> he won the thing in style and he performed very well on Sunday. The Saudi tour was in the United States of America in Pumpkin Ridge over the weekend, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. They had many more accomplished golfers than the PGA Tour had on display. They had many more. I don't think there was a single guy at the PGA Tour, could be wrong, who won a major. Maybe there was. Not many. There were a whole bunch of them on the Saudi Tour. A whole bunch of them. What keeps the Saudi Tour from your eyes is it doesn't have a television contract yet, and it has an odd format, and you're going to have to get used to it because it's not the way golf is distributed your whole life on television, thanks to Frank Cherkinian. But the players they put out there were better players than the PGA Tour put out there, and Michael and I have talked about this. If you're Jay Monahan and you know there's a crisis... A stimulus check. Show up. You have to say five or six of your better players. Look, they're in America now. We have to fight this off. This is a virus. 
we got to slay this virus. We need you at this you don't tournament, need, You don't right? need to pump millions into Bay Hill. Tournaments that people already watch. Choose a summer weekend, the, the one that has been circled for the first time. This is on American soil. And just hand out checks. Please show up to this. The British, the Open's not for two weeks. Just come play here. Um, the Saudi Tour got another distinguished golfer, though he's never won a major. He's one of the best to never win a major, Paul Casey. And now I got a note the other day that they have Sam Burns. Sam Burns a big deal. He's top 10. You may not know him, but he's top 10. I don't know that it's true that they have Sam Burns, but people are taking their money to play their dopey format. And if enough people take their money to play their dopey format, that dopey format becomes the format. Well, or the, yeah. dope, no. or the dopey format changes. Jeez. So already for next year, it looks like they will add more events and more players. Uh, again, yep. you're, you're trying to circle, how do we get official world golf ranking points? The one thing you can't have is, is what Greg Norman was able to do, which is goes, look at the points we have here. Look at the pedigree we have here. We have the better field. Uh, so again, you're now just fast forwarding another two to three weeks to see what the, tr- uh, what the New Jersey Live Golf event looks like. At the Trump course that we have played. Yeah. You know, I mean, this pretty. was a course that was supposed to hold this year's PGA Championship. Right. So, so it is a, a distinguished course, according to the PGA Tour itself, and now they're getting it stuck right in their face. So we'll see. Uh, interesting thing, though, you looked at the event. The you know, If you read all about this, the London one was just, how is this going to look? And again, people don't know. It's odd to see. I didn't watch any of it, but it's odd to see a... Uh, shotgun star, sort of continuous golf. Where are players on the course relative to where they are within the actual tournament itself? But right now, you're trying to figure out how does gambling work for this because not every sports book has been taking live golf bets. But also, what's the you know people talk about the power of the PJ Tour coming through neighborhoods. Professional men's golf has not been through the Pacific Northwest, and they had a lot of fans show up in Portland to try and see some of these players that they do recognize. There were not that uh, many people and, at the John Deere. And that was not without its fault. I mean, there are people waiting in cars for hours because this is still something that is, you know, just trying to get off the ground. Yeah. Let me get to something else, the thing that really angered me. Tanner Rainey. I hate Tanner Rainey. I'm going to explain exactly why I hate Tanner Rainey. And Victor Robles almost saved the day. Yeah. So the Nats are up by one run in the top of the ninth, and Tanner Rainey comes in to close. Kyle Finnegan has just gotten out of the eighth inning. Am I correct on that? Got yeah. out of the eighth, and Tanner Rainey comes in for the ninth inning. He gets two quick outs. you got to understand the Nats are up by one because Josh Bell in the bottom of the eighth has hit one of his few meaningful home runs Trade in his career. Trade candidate Josh Bell. Right, right. <laughs> Trade candidate Josh Bell. A guy who leads usually the majors in irrelevant home runs. Oh, two-run shot in a f- yeah. 6-0 game. In the, you know, so, yeah. so what? Doesn't mean anything. Okay. Tanner Rainey gets two quick outs, and then he has Garcia up there, and he goes one and two on Garcia. So you're one strike away yeah, from I winning. the count. You know, you're one strike away from winning. And then Tanner Rainey gets cute. Oh, uh, nibbles? He nibbles. Mm. He nibbles to three and two. Ugh. He nibbles to three and two, <laughs> and then he walks them. Tanner Rainey puts the tying run on the base by himself for no reason at all. And then Sanchez gets up, and I don't know who's doing the play-by-play. It's not Carpenter. It's some other guy. He's there with Franson. I don't know who he is. He's fine. And he says, eh, you got to watch out for Sanchez because he's got home run power. He's not a guy who's going to beat you with a single. He's a guy who's going to beat you with a home run. He's a righty-lefty. Sanchez is a lefty. Rainey goes one and two on Sanchez, and then he gets cute, and then he nibbles a little bit, and then he comes inside low, 
and that ball has not been seen yet. <laughs> That's out of here. Oh, no. That's out of here. That shake shack? So now, yeah. <laughs> so now the Nats are down by one. And the Nats are in the bottom of the ninth. And of all people, as Michael alluded to before, Victor Robles, who now has a higher batting average this year than Juan Soto. Juan so Soto I, is now all of a sudden open to an extension. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Yeah, like, yeah sure. Right. Juan, Juan Soto, who was Mel Ott a few weeks ago, <laughs> Robles gets a hit. Go two Victor out Robles. Hit. Robles luck. gets a hit. Robles was a, the original prospect. Robles, I don't think he's a major league hitter, but he gets a hit. And Robles, and now, so now it's a tie game. And now they bring in Carl Edwards Jr. This is a guy I can't stand for months since I saw him the first time and he couldn't get anybody out. Then he got better. I understand he got better. But he's wearing 58 for a reason. You wear 58 because you're going to be optioned yeah. to Rochester or, you know, or the P Nats or the F Nats or Frederick Nats or the, wherever they are. You know, you're going to be optioned somewhere. Rochester, I believe, is the uh, Orioles still, you know, but you're going to be optioned. He didn't get anybody out. They were down by three before he got anybody out. Oh, he didn't get anybody out. Just miserable. Seven four. And, and their bullpen stinks. Oh. So, okay, so Finnegan is fine for one inning, although he's had innings where he's not fine. They don't have, if their rotation ends with Tanner Rainey, and Tanner Rainey does that, just throw the ball over the plate. Don't, don't walk anybody with two outs in the ninth. Don't do it. Right? Am I right? To totally agree. Let your let your uh, your players make uh, make something happen. But is there a sense for you with numbers as to does the visitor or the home team have some big edge when you get to extras and you have the runner on second? Because it felt like that one. Okay, we you let the first one in, and then you get to the point you don't even have to show it for the bottom half because you're not going to score that many runs. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think it's one run. I think the first two are run wins. I think probably visitors win a lot, but. You know, the ninth inning, it's straight up. Yeah. It's straight up. You can't. You have two outs, two quick outs. You're pitching well. It's one and two. What are you doing? Well, the Nats have played the Marlins well this year. They're yeah. one and 11 against the Marlins. The Marlins, without the Nats, are probably 15 games under 500. I mean, I looked at the standings. Where so, are they in the standings? Uh, the, the Marlins are, I think, five back in the wild card. So, so are they near 500? I think so. So, I mean, you, you look at what I would have Philly's said they were doing. Under. Philly's playing up against St. Louis, and they've had really good games all weekend. And you're trying to say, when you look at what the Nats were able to do when they were winning the division between, like, 2014, 2017, they were doing exactly this against the Marlins. Yeah. And you have to have one of these teams in the division if you think you're going to be able to make the playoffs. Yeah, Miami, five games out of the wild card. Where, what are they, what's their record? How many over? Are they over? No, 37 and 40. So they're three down, even with 11 to one over the Nats. You know, yeah. they're not a good team. They stink. No, they're not very good. They've got you and, the, and the Nats got to their relievers a little bit. I, it just, it was, well, it made me angry. I, I sent off 19 notes to Chuck Todd. <laughs> 19 texts, line by line, as to why I hated everything. And so Chuck Todd finally, said, bad teams find new ways to lose. That's absolutely true. We finally true. get Bootsy and the Hammer to sleep. I'm downstairs. I can't find the clicker. So I'm sitting in the dark with the captain. And I see Tony calling. Ring, ring. Goes to voicemail. I text him. Is everything okay? No, I just wanted to call and complain about the dads. Yeah. I felt I, I would have a sympathetic ear in yours. Well, there's nothing worse. I mean, as you said, two outs, two strikes, challenge the batter. You're gonna, as you said, Michael, let your defense play a little bit. Trust you know, them. 
just yeah nothing worse than that Tannerini. I, I mean i've never liked him and it's not that I don't... He throws it 99. Yeah, well, challenge a guy. He has movement on the ball, but, you know, he didn't win. It's time to bring up Tyler Clippard. Tyler Clippard. goggles. How old is Tyler Clippard now? Is he he's 50? Ready. I think he's about 62. He yeah, wants one more chance at the Nats. Good. Give him a chance. Great walk. Who music. is their best pitcher right now? Their best pitcher right now is Paolo... What's his name? Oh, Espino? Who, Espino, who goes out there with junk... Um, every third day or second day if you want him and gives you five innings and doesn't give up more than two or three runs. Best, he, he's best the, pitcher is probably your catcher because he throws people off and gets the good. innings over. He can pick guys yeah. off at first. At first. Ruiz, he's, he's can snap it. Clippard is 37 years young. Okay. Give him a chance. Sure. Can't, be, can't be worse than Rainey and Carl Edwards Jr. Ready or not, here he oh, comes. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Michael Wilbon will join us and we'll talk about the fact that Wilbon and I played golf together yesterday. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Andrew Flowers in Lexington, South Carolina, who writes, It's been wonderful to have the show use its support for independent musicians. You all have played songs submitted by me from the band Levy in the past, and lucky me, I have another talented friend with new music out. Attached is a new single from Kimberly Walsh titled If Ever. Kimberly has one of those voices I could listen to forever, and she's an excellent songwriter as well. Her new EP, Rain Garden, will be available on all music platforms. Well, it is July 1st. Thanks again, and shout out to Bootsy the Hammer and the Captain. If Michael's family ever needs to find the best family activities in the Midlands of South Carolina, my three-year-old and eight-month-old daughters would love to help. From Andrew Flowers, this is Kimberly Walsh, If Ever. She can sing. She's just beautiful. She can sing better than we can sing. Plays in Michael Wilbon. <laughs> Wilbon and I played golf yesterday. Wilbon, Neville, and I, we went to four streams where we used to be members. And I can just say it was a complete joy for me. An unexpected and wonderful joy. The weather got better. We played 18. Mike's foot problems seemed to not be terrible. How do you feel today? How did you feel when you were playing? And was there any effect last night with your foot? Good, Tony. Felt good when I was playing. No tenderness, no pain. Uh, you noticed there might have been a tiny little bit of swelling in the ankle yesterday, but when I was not to as bed much last as night, mine. Yeah, so it was yeah. none. There was none. Knock on wood. So you know, uh, the first step literally um, seems to have gone okay. If you can play eighteen holes of golf, it was more. I, I hit enough shots for like twenty-four holes of golf. Um, they seem to be all right. So that's the first checkpoint. Did you? And it was a great the, day. Had a great time. Oh, it was great. Did you use the Voltaren that Neville had for you? No, the arthritis stuff. That, it's good. That, that that'll be today. Yeah, that I'll, stuff. I'll, I'll start to deal with that today. <laughs> there is relief from that, and it's not prescription. You know, you can buy it in any drugstore. It was okay. So you you were tentative at first, but as you got into the round, it seemed to me you hit the ball better as you went. Yeah, yes. I still didn't know where the hell it was going. Uh, 
But, um, yeah, I, I did, Tony, because I didn't have any pain. I don't know. I'd have to see video, and we ain't going to have that, to see if I was shifting, you know, getting from the right side to the left side, um, if I was doing that in, in a way that is, in, you know, is encouraging. Um, that will have to be for the next time. I got a long way to go. I, I, you know, it's the, I got a long way to go. I hadn't played. I hadn't played. A, I hadn't played eighteen holes of golf in five months. Yeah, I mean, you, you were, picked up a club. Yeah, you were fine. I mean, you got the ball in the air. But again, you got better as you went along. It seemed yeah. to me. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So believe me, I was. It's the first. That's the most worried I have been stepping on a golf course in a. <laughs> A long, long time, and, and and maybe the most worried ever because we were talking about physically, you know, just getting old and stuff falling apart. And I want to be able to play. I want to be able to, to like devote the rest of the summer to sort of fitness and golf. That's yeah. it. You know, You're from s- now until we go back on the air with the NBA in the first of November, I want to be able to do that. You're skinny. You're skinny. I'm smaller than I've been since. I started the Orioles beat, uh, which was 1984. So ways back. So <laughs> ways. I ate a lot of crab cakes in that press box. Right. <laughs> right. So I went from you know a weight in college when I when I got to Washington as a cub reporter I was you know 185 pounds, and then you know over the years went up to you know 250. You were snapped up. I'm, you were snacked up. Yeah, yeah I was snacked up. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, for the most part, Tony, most of the years of people who know me that you know, watch whatever. I, you know, I was in the two thirties too. You know, but I, I was one hundred and ninety-eight pounds last night, which is sort of frightening. No, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, you have a better chance, um, especially if you have leg and foot problems. The I'm lighter you alive. are, yeah, the lighter you are, probably. The yes. better you are, but it was very, very nice to play. Great, they shamed me like so. I call up four streams, and it was, the course looked lovely. It really did. It looked it lovely. Beautiful. So green. It, really it looked so nice. Yeah. So I call up and I say, "Look, you know, I need. I can't play the distance of your club anymore. I mean, I just can't. Uh, what do you do? What are the senior tees?" And the guy said, "Well, we don't really have senior tees, but a lot of the older guys play from the Reds. They play from the women's tees." And Wilbon and Neville would not let me play from the women's no, tees. No, you're not doing that. We played no. from the we played from the forward men's tees, but we would not do that. Neville, <coughs> Neville's got a off the tee. Neville fades it. Yeah, Neville does. fades it. I I hook it and Neville fades it. None. The rest of his shots are not faded. The rest of his shots are straightforward. But he fades on the tee. He, he can hit it pretty far. He's pretty good. Where does he play? Yeah, Neville play. You and Neville play. A lot. You guys play a lot of golf. Yeah. And, I, you know, I used to, and real life gets in the way. Uh, and real life, in my case, Tony, in the, in the 90s, not the 90s, well, the end of the 90s, in the early aughts, until Matthew was born, I, I played 70, 75 rounds of golf a year. And now, I, you know, I, the last five, six years, I'm lucky to play 20. Yeah, got to play, play more. Rounds. It's good for it. It's good for your health. It's good uh, well, for your you attitude. Know, I'll, I'll, but you know, I mean, Matthew's got, you know, now he's got he's got basketball. He's a, he's look his AAU plus Gonzaga, right? So at least Gonzaga freshman team right now, 
And so we'll see. But real life gets in the way. I don't know how much I want to be able to get out there. Wilbon's got this brand new car. He's got the Gonzaga sticker on the back. Yeah. I hope he didn't get that Purple before everywhere. he was accepted. <laughs> I mean, because if no. he didn't get it, you no, no, Gonzaga all, all that stuff went on, you know, <laughs> like last week. That's um, good. <laughs> and, you know, in my house, purple is good. Purple is yeah. good. Yeah. So I mean, we're happy about that. All right, let me get to some basketball things that we're, you know, they're sort of past due. Um, it is said, it is reported. I've not heard this from Kevin Durant's mouth. But it is reported that Kevin Durant has said to the Nets, I want out. Do you, Mike, believe, do you believe that Kevin Durant will leave the Nets and not play for them this year? If they can make a deal. I mean, he told that to the owner. There's no, by the way, there's no, like, uh, other reporting that says he didn't say that. That's right. No, 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 That's no, right. no. No, he, he. You know, I'm sure this is coming from the owner or from the owner's camp, or maybe even from Durant. Somebody quoted Durant's business manager. So it's come from both sides, Tony. Uh, that he said to Joe Sy, I'd like to be traded. And they seem to uh, be saying, we'll accommodate him. We don't know what that is, and maybe they can't get a deal. Maybe the Nets just say at some point over the next six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, we, we'd like to accommodate you, but we can't get a deal to our liking. We're not going to take 40 cents on the dollar for you. So, but we have so many teams bidding already, reportedly, for Durant. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Do there you are think some rules that may prohibit where he can go, but I don't think right. that's going to be a problem. Do you think, and maybe, maybe the answer is no, maybe this guy is just too oblivious. But do you think that this will have any reverberation with Kyrie Irving, when no. the when the last known friend said, "I can't play with this guy. I can't live no. like this." No, no, he's he's oblivious. He is just an egomaniac of the first degree. He's as big an egomaniac as we've seen. He's as big an egomaniac. What's the receiver who was on New England who keeps who lived at Tom Brady's house? Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, he's as big an egomaniac as Antonio Brown. Maybe bigger. He is. So, no, it doesn't, none of it reverberates. He's going to throw some incense and keep trucking. <laughs> yeah, all right, good for him. Um, biggest news in free agency to me, biggest news of, of the, something that was done, was Rudy Gobert leaving Utah yeah. and going to Minnesota, which frees up Carl Anthony Towns to be a European center. Just move outside whenever yeah. he wants and, well, that's and do what he that. Was doing anyway. Yeah, do that sort of stuff. Yeah, but now there's protection at the rim, so you don't even have to play the five on defense. This is an enormous move because of what Minnesota gave up. What are your thoughts yeah. on this? They gave up four draft picks, you know, and four players. Yeah, this was a Herschel Walker trade. Yeah, for yeah. a guy who's not Herschel Walker. No, uh, that's right. And. Hers- um, yeah. Look, Rudy Gobert is, is is he should have three or four really great years, which is a lot in the NBA. He's thirty, turning thirty, I think. And Minnesota's good. I mean, not just Carl Anthony Towns, who's now all league level, but also the kid from Georgia, who's a beast, who who, who inspires fear in opponents. He was the number one draft pick a couple. Anthony Edwards, man. Yeah. They got all the stuff on that team. And I don't know if they have the intellect, which is what I worry about, um, because you have to have that. I don't care how good physically you are. We, we, we saw teams 
We've seen teams have all the physical prowess you can have and can't win. And the West is loaded. It's loaded. You still got to get past. I mean, forget about Golden State for a second. You still got to deal with Dallas, who they lost to in the playoffs. You got to deal with Memphis. Memphis not taking any steps back. Dallas not taking any steps back right now. You know, and, and, and then you work your way, you know, toward the Warriors. Um, so there's a lot there, but they, they're, they're going for it. You know, they're going for it. And, and the, the partner, the willing partner is Danny Ainge, who's going for it, in that Danny Ainge gets to a place, and he's in Utah now, and he wants to retool. He wants to work it in his image. That's right. And he's he had success. In he knows what he's doing. You know, and he's, and he's now doing that in Utah. There are a lot of people who become general managers, and people say, this guy's really smart, and he knows what he's doing. Okay. But Danny Ainge has proven he knows what he's doing. So, That's right. you know, he, he's, he has died in the wool at this point. Were you surprised? I thought you were panicked that Zach Levine would leave the Bulls. Were you surprised he stayed? No, I wasn't panicked. Um, you know, I thought it was possible that he might leave. It's possible when you're a free agent and you have suitors out there. Zach Levine was on the Olympic team mm-hmm. last year. Zach Levine, so that means you're, you know, you're in the company of great players who may not even have known you, but take a liking to you, like Kevin Durant. Um, there's some talk out there that LeBron is one of those guys who's become a fan. In the last year, Zach Levine has become a much better player and something more resembling a two-way player. But I'm glad they resigned him. I, I, Zach Levine is not a one. He, they got to pay him like a one. That's right. But he's not. That's right. So they have to have an ensemble effort. So, you know, that means DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and other stuff. You know, is Vucevic good enough? I don't think so. Uh, but I hope they use him in a package and try and get uh, Aiton. You know, they may have to make a trade, two players, and they got a number four overall pick from a year ago, Patrick Williams, who they still don't know how good he's going to be at. But maybe Phoenix likes him. Maybe Phoenix likes Kobe White. Maybe the Bulls can cobble together something and get Aiton and then have Aiton, Levine, and DeRozan. That looks like something. That's right. All right, get so you I'm, out of here I, on that's this. That's my hoping. Which inside Bulls, but that's my hope. Yeah. You're a Big Ten boy, Northwestern. Mm. You just added USC and UCLA, who don't belong there geographically, who don't belong there on – they just don't belong there on any level – um, and you've been very critical in the past of teams like Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. How are you with this? Um, what I realize is I'm not going to care about college sports much longer because I'm old, and part of what I care about is conference affiliation, identity, yeah. your very identity. My, totally much of my identity as a person is the Big Ten. Because especially these last, again, these last 10 years since I have a place in Chicago now and I spend time there on the weekends and I go to game. I'm a season ticket holder for three sports. I go to Evanston, Illinois to watch the Big Ten play. And I'll go to road games. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get in the car and go to Madison. You know, I'll go to Iowa. Um, that's, that's a part of my identity since I was a little kid. And... And I'm a trustee of the Big Ten University. I, I, I understand it's, it's about money. I understand this. I understand what's going on. The Big Ten network is the best network of its kind. By far. By far. By far. 
the SEC and the ACC can't get that right. Um, you know, no matter what Paul Feinbaum tells you, I, I, in the, the, the television, the Big Ten is superior in terms of the product it puts out there every day to consume. And so the money, if, if it's true that each school is going to get $100 million a year, it's like, it's not like the NFL because nothing like the, it's like the NFL, but relatively speaking, Tony, you know what I mean. So, I, you know, but I don't want these. I never wanted Maryland. Maryland. Maryland and Rutgers. I didn't want Penn State. I grudgingly accepted the 11th team, Penn State. You're like, eh. I like Nebraska being there because Nebraska is like the others. Midwestern schools, central time zone, although we got the time zone, Eastern New, we got Ohio State and Indiana. But Nebraska's like us. Penn State, Rutgers, get please, please, Maryland? And now you're telling me UCLA and USC. Now, the one thing that, that, that feels okay is that when you are, when your identity is the Big Ten, you have a shared identity with the Pac-10. Because of the Rose Bowl. Because That's of the right. Rose Bowl. Got nothing so, to do with basketball or any other sport. It's the Rose football. Bowl. That's right. Right. That's right. That's that right. event when Northwestern was in the one Rose Bowl in my lifetime. Who did we play? USC. USC. So that there's a sort of a kinship there, distant cousins, but a kinship. So if you ask me, who would you rather have, UCLA and USC or Maryland and Rutgers? I'm going to tell you the California schools. Maryland and Rutgers. I, I'm never going to get be with that. Yeah. And yeah. so, but but Tony, this there's only going to be two. There's going to be two conferences for a little while, and I guess it's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC. And then it's going to morph again. That's right. And it's going to be one super conference of 40 teams, and that's all that's going to play football. That's exactly that. right. There's going to be 40 teams, eight to a playoff national championship. Yeah. That's the way it's going to be. And so I'm I'm. I'm look. I'm a college football head. You know, I, I do. This is what I do on the weekends. But I'm getting to the point where this is going to lose me. Not that I'm not going to root for my team because I'm going to root for my team, and I'm going to go to these games. I guess, but I'm not going to feel the way about it that I have felt all of my life. Because it's not going to resemble, it's not going to mean the same thing. I mean, college sports more than anything, more than the NBA, more than Major League Baseball, more than pro football, it's tribal. When you're in Chicago on the weekend, and this does not happen here in, in the DMV, when you're in Chicago on a Saturday tone and you wake up and you walk around, people have on their college football sweatshirts. And you see all of them. You see all the Big Ten sweatshirts. In the morning, just on an October morning, walking to go get some breakfast or going to the grocery store or going to run an errand. People, you see Iowa's sweatshirts. You see Minnesota's sweatshirts. You see, this is what you see people have on their colors. It's tribal. I, I don't know what it means anymore. It's, it's become less and less and less and less that over the last, what, when did Boston College decide to you yeah, know, they're patient zero. Money. They're patient zero. They are. They are. Boston, Boston College. College. Hate you got to hate them. You got to hate them. I hate that. Syracuse. I hate Syracuse, too. Um, but it's less that way, and I don't know when I'm going to just say, I'm, I'm just going to drop out. I don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah, so you spend your weekends in the warm weather playing golf. Don't worry about it. All right, I'll talk to you later.
All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll come back. We'll go into this in much greater depth with Pat Forty. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Mike Kinsella sends this in. Says, I've sent you music in the past from my band American Football. It's a good name. Maybe you remember me from the time Kevin Sheehan came to our show at the Black Cat with his son a few years ago. We ended up drinking wine backstage, and he invited me to come hang with him and all you guys at Chatter the next morning. And I was ecstatic, but also, unfortunately, too hungover <laughs> to get up early enough to make it to the show on time. Needless to say, I've been kicking myself ever since. Anyway, I also play solo as Owen and will be sort of in your neck of the woods later this summer, specifically August 3rd in Richmond, Virginia, at the Richmond Music Hall. As always, I'll put all your names on the guest list and keep an extra bottle of wine corked backstage until you get there. This is pretty good. This is called The New Muse. And this is as Owen, Mike Kinsella as Owen. In this Which, of course, Owen. You didn't really think of Throw Mama from the Train. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Michael, if the music we get is so good, if people like Owen want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. So we have Pat Forty on with us now, and we just got off the air with Wilbon. And Pat, Wilbon, who is a Northwestern boy and a son of the Big Ten, is lamenting this. You know, he doesn't even like Maryland and Rutgers in there. He wasn't crazy about Penn State in there. And he says you can walk on a Chicago street in early October on a football Saturday, and you see people all over the city wearing all their different Big Ten geographically appropriate sweatshirts where they went to school. And I can understand that. And he was sad about all of this. So let's start with this, the USC-UCLA thing. Was this known? Was this in the wind? Or was this just a total stunner as it was to me? Total stunner. Uh, Very much like last year with Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, And I will say because of the Texas and Oklahoma thing, you knew there was going to be more more things happening. So from that standpoint, you could say total stunner, but also somewhat inevitable, uh, if those two things can both be true, because there would seem like there was always going to be a Big Ten answer and always going to be a continuation of moving the pieces along till we have a mega Big Ten and a mega SEC. But... I, nobody, nobody heard any rumor of this. There was no discussion. I mean, there might have been some blue sky theorizing, but it, not nobody saw this coming when it came, how it came. I was absolutely totally out of the blue. So when I heard about it, um, we were off the air. We didn't have a PTI that day, and uh, I heard about this. And my first reaction was, "Well, the Big Ten must have done this to counter Texas and Oklahoma." going to the SEC. That's what had to happen. So my question is, was this initiated, do you think, by the Big Ten, or was this a rogue initiation by these two 
very, very prominent, famous football schools, USC and UCLA? Uh, it seems to me that USC acted first. Uh, and whether a USC then went to UCLA and said, hey, you want to come with us? Or they went to the Big Ten and said, we're interested. Now can we go get UCLA as well? Or what? You know, but I think USC was the trigger on this, much as Texas was last year. And, you know, quite frankly, if you want to, like, unspool this thing completely, it's all Texas's fault because right. they started this last year. But that's, that's a little bit too simplistic. Uh, so the, the other question, Tony, is, yeah, USC started it, did they get a little nudge from Fox Sports? And did Fox say, you know, yeah. here are the revenue situations, and the Big Ten's about to make even more, and maybe you should go talk to the Big Ten here. Uh, and we would be very ecstatic TV partners in this. I don't think you can underestimate the roles of Fox uh, on behalf of the Big Ten and ESPN on behalf of the SEC in building these mega power conferences. It is interesting to me, and I've said this many, many times on television and said it to you many, many times, and I'm probably wrong to hold Larry Scott personally responsible, but under his watch, the Pac-10 or Pac-12 or Pac-8 or whatever you want to call it died a thousand deaths in the two major sports, in football and basketball. They were dominant for years and years and years, and then they became irrelevant, and Larry Scott didn't get out fast enough, and, it, and their network stinks. The Big Ten network is great, and the Pac-12 network stinks. And so it, it, it strikes me that it's not that hard if you're USC or UCLA or even some of the other schools and I'll ask this later, which are probably kicking themselves that they didn't jump. But you just say to yourself, we're in a loser conference now, and we've got to get out. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, sure does. And I do think Larry Scott is certainly culpable, and the people who, the university presidents who have run the Pac-12 and allowed Larry Scott to have a, a fairly long and very unsuccessful tenure are culpable, uh, because that was just bad leadership. It got... The Pac-12 further and further behind. As you said, the TV network deal was terrible. Um, they, they just didn't do enough to be proactive and to stay up with the leagues that were pulling away from them. And there's no doubt that that goes back to uh, the leadership. And, and you know, I, George Kleokoff, I feel bad for him. I mean, he just got there. Yeah. yeah, he marks one year anniversary on the job, and people had liked him and the job he was doing. They're like, "Yeah, George is on top of it. George is moving us forward. George is, you know, he's got it going on." And then to just have have the rug pulled out from underneath you is uh, is brutal. But yeah, what you have now, and arguably we're we're getting down to to shorter straws here. But yes, you have a bunch of programs in various conferences who say, we're the big dogs here. Our conference isn't doing enough for us. Let's go. And so you obviously had that with the two that kind of made the money in the the Big 12, and now the two that made the money in the Pac-12. And the next step is, okay, who else can go? Who else is eligible? Who else is attractive if the Big 10 and SEC are going to go to 18 or 20? And it's a smaller list, and the ACC is kind of almost off the list at this point because they're all locked into their TV deal for another 13 years. 
Um, there are two questions that, that are sort of the same question. It's just one end of the question and the other end of the question. The first question is, where is this going? And the second question is, who gets hurt the most? And I don't know that you can separate those. I'm going to assume that in X amount of years, and that X is getting quicker, there's going to be one 40 to 60 team college football conference and it'd be eight to 12 playoff teams. And that'll be the national championship. Do you disagree with that? Uh, no, I think that's entirely possible that that's the way we're going, which again, makes the miscalculation by last year, by the, by the uh, ACC and the PAC 12 in opposing an expanded playoff catastrophic yeah. in rear view. You know, I mean, they just basically, you know, out of a, fit of anger or whatever or or just short-sightedness said no we're not voting for the playoff and i was like okay we'll have one without you see ya uh that's what we're looking at now uh so yeah i think that there's a real good chance that we are heading that way to that further consolidation and yeah that, i mean i was talking to somebody over the weekend if the the big there may not even be a playoff within those two conferences. You may end up with a Big Ten with 20 teams, a pack, an SEC with 20 teams. They each say, yeah, we'll have our own deal. We're going to have a four-team playoff here or whatever, and that's our champion. And the, the, the public may say, well, how about if the Big Ten champion plays the SEC champion? Yeah. What if they can't agree on a format and they can't agree who would televise it? Uh, and that sort of thing. And we don't even have that. And we go back to the old days where the AP has a champion and the UPI has a champion. There is certainly, if this happens, there is no need for the NCAA. The NCAA will cease to exist in terms of football. There will be no rules, right, Pat? There will be no rules. The rule, the, these two conferences will make their own rules. You don't need, what do you need with anything else? Yeah, that, that would be the next step. I mean, like, theoretically, and it's funny, you talk to people in college athletics, and they're all like, well, we need, yeah, we need somebody to be the governing body, at least in terms of the rules. Uh, but <laughs> the rule book's already been shredded to the That's point, right. like, you know, what, what does it really matter? And so, yeah, we could end up with, like, the Pac-12 and the SEC, I'm sorry, the, the Big Ten and the SEC setting their own rules. They may not even be the same rules. And who's going to enforce them? Because those, the conferences have tried. They've had their hand as enforcers. They don't want to do it. Nobody, nobody wants to tell on each other because then somebody's going to tell on them. Nobody wants to take away anything from the conference. While it's good, for, if, if Florida is cheating and Georgia turns them in and Florida goes on probation, that only hurts the league and the league revenue. So you, you have a disincentive to do that. Uh, it's just, it would, be, it would be very hard to see uh, an adequate enforcement system if it goes down that way, but that could, could well be the way we're heading. I am not against making money. I am not one of these people that say the colleges shouldn't do this if they can make money. I am for making money. But I do think what happened to the University of Maryland ought to be instructive to some of these schools. The University of Maryland took the money from the Big Ten. They now have no natural rivalries in the Big Ten whatsoever. Kids who grow up thinking about going to Maryland, basketball players certainly, think, well, I can play North Carolina, I can play Virginia, I can play Duke. Well, it's gone. Well, they don't care about playing in Indiana or Minnesota or Iowa. They don't care. They don't care about that. So Maryland's got a bunch of money, but they have fallen precipitously, Pat, as, as 
a football and basketball school. They're almost like, who cares? But where are they playing again? Maryland? Can this happen to these other schools? Yeah. Yes, it can. And we saw it. We've seen it with Maryland. We saw it with Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska yes. football has been a complete non-entity since it came to the Big Ten. You can go. You can go further on. You can extrapolate this further. I mean, Arkansas. Yeah, okay. They they've probably enjoyed being in the SEC. How many times have they won the SEC West? I think once. Uh, you know, they, they the the whole thought process of well. We're going to make a lot of money. Okay, why should that matter to the fans? The fans, A, want to see your team win, and now it's harder to do. B, they want to see rivalry games with opponents that they know that are, you know, backyard battles and, and water cooler uh, jousting at the, at the office because the guy, you know, in your Maryland example, it's, you know, there's, there's a guy from Maryland and a guy from Penn State working in the same office or whatever the case may be, or a guy from North Carolina, I should say the guy from Virginia, but that, yeah, you lose all of that in exchange for more money. So what exactly does that get you? And while, yes, the money is good, but it also, in this case, puts an extreme hardship on the athletes at USC and UCLA. I mean, the travel they're going to have to do, especially in the non-revenue sports and in basketball, when they're playing during the week, uh, I just think the academic hit and the fatigue hit is going to be immense. What happens? Like, this is not just football. If it was just football, everybody would say, okay, this makes sense. But it's everything. You're, it's like Binghamton University, their golf team is in the Big Sky Conference. What are you, what are you <laughs> doing? What do you mean? What do you mean they're playing against Utah State and Montana State and they're playing in Scottsdale, Arizona for the championship? I'm what... The big sky, Binghamton, really. So what happens? Let's look at Pac-10 teams. And then you'll excuse me because I could call them the Pac-10. Let's look at Utah, relatively new. California, been there forever. Oregon State, been there forever. What do they do now? Uh, do, do, they, do they listen to offers from the Big 12? What do they do? What happens? Uh, I don't know. I mean, both, you know, they, the, the Pac-12 is so destabilized now. I, I mean, I do know that several of their schools have – immediately gone to the Big Ten and said, hey, can we be next? No, they don't want you. No. Well, no. The Big Ten, I think the Big Ten will wait and see what happens with Notre Dame, and we will see if this is Notre Dame's last Independence Day as an independent. Right. Uh, I'm not saying it's imminent, but I would would think, you know, certainly within a year we'll have know what Notre Dame's future intentions are, probably sooner. Um, But then, yeah, from the Pac-12 standpoint – uh, Oregon and Washington would love to go. Stanford and Cal would love to go. The others know they really don't have any chance. Uh, you know, academically, Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon State, Washington State, and and markets market uh, profitability. They they just don't have anything to present. And the problem with Stanford and Cal, while they are like-minded academic institutions with the very best in the Big Ten. They don't have very big fan bases, and nobody cares how they do in sports. So they don't, they don't have a TV audience, per se. No, so, they don't. I mean, it's, it's dire times. And I don't know whether they would merge, per se, with the Big 12. I mean, I do know, going back to this example, like Stanford does not want to be in the same league with Oklahoma State and with mm. Iowa State and Kansas State. I mean, academically, come on. They just, they're, they're not going to do that. Stanford 
would probably de-emphasize athletics before they would join, I would think, with the Big 12. Now, that maybe, that's, maybe that would play out differently, but I do think there is a slim chance that we get the nerd conference out of all this. Yeah, You get Cal, Stanford, Notre Dame, and the high-minded academic part of the ACC eventually, whether that's you know Virginia, North Carolina, B.C., Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, or what. And they all say, you know what, we're going to be, we're going to continue to, to take academics seriously and we're just going to play athletics against each other. And yeah, we'll play the Ivy League and non football stuff and whatever. I don't think it's out of the question. I would sort of enjoy that. I'd like to, I want to help. I mean, Vanderbilt you'd have to consider, and then Wilbon would have to eat it on Northwestern because <laughs> they would be one of those teams that would go to that conference. I mean, that yeah. makes, all the, makes all the sense in the world. I, it's mm-hmm. interesting, Pat, and I think it's fluid. I do. I mean, I think this is sort of interesting and and cool in a, in a strange way, off putting as well. Thank you, Pat. Best to your daughter. Right, my pleasure, Tony. Thank Okie you. Dokie. Bye, Pat Forty, boys and girls. Uh, email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Jerry Negrelli sent that in. That's everybody at Jingle Fest. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. God. That ranks up there for me with the Missouri Marching Band. Yes. That's wonderful. God bless the little. So great. Thanks for that. Thank you. Thank you. Want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? They came through. Bagel sandwiches today on in, on your Independence Day, I should stress. Big deal. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say I'm pleased and happy to repeat the news that we have, in fact, caught and killed a large predator that supposedly injured some bathers. But as you can see, it's a beautiful day. The beaches are open and people are having a wonderful time. Amity, as you know, means friendship. And this is, of course, from Jaws, where the signature line is, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Mayor Larry Vaughn. Yeah, right. thanks You're going to have a good summer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsors, Shopify and Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. From uh, Brendan Shador, Shadwar, I don't know, S-H-C-H-A-U-D-O-I-R. Shador, maybe, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's my first time writing in, unless you count... The email that I sent to PTI in 2009 when I was about seven. <laughs> I would ask my dad every day with the question of, do you like the Packers would be read on the air? Anyway, I've been a longtime viewer of PTI, and now that I've started a real nine-to-five internship at a bank, I've become an avid listener of your podcast. I found it funny that I now share a birthday with your grandson, Reed, 20 years separated. I appreciate the list of names you read off that also share that birthday, most notably Mike Holmgren. Despite being a huge Packers fan, I had no idea he was born that day. I'm entirely shocked one name didn't make the list, and that is Northwest, oldest daughter of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. 
Not sure how that one slipped through the cracks. P.S. I've proofread this more than most of my college writing. Good thing I'm a business major, I guess. Uh, from Javon or Javon? Oh, Javon. Yeah, Javon. Javon. Loyal Little and former colleague here. I'm playing catch-up with the pod and wanted to wish you and yours a hearty congratulations on the addition of your latest masculine grandchild. Not sure when I'll get caught up to actually hear this read on the air, but at this rate, it'll likely be Yom Kippur. I hope you had an easy fast. Your homie, Javon. Very, very nice. <laughs> He's gaining weight. He's sleeping well. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah, good. Uh, this is long, but we'll go with it because Nigel gave it to me. This is from Brian. Um, greetings in La Cheeserie from Tulsa, Oklahoma. This past week... Nigel and Mike, Michael mentioned that they still randomly peruse ice cream aisles for the often sought after but never found Baskin Robbins, Dunkin' Donuts, Love Child ice cream. It makes me smile each time this quixotic search is brought up. It makes me think of a story I heard once on one of those biography-type shows on History Channel or A&E about Howard Hughes and his obsession with Baskin Robbins' banana nut ice cream. I know it's gross, but stick with me here. <laughs> Stories go that he had an obsession with Baskin Robbins' banana nut ice cream during his residency in Las Vegas during the 1960s. At one point, his crew, a.k.a. uses Michael and Nigel, uh, found out that Baskin-Robbins was going to discontinue the flavor. Baskin-Robbins said they'd only make more if they bought a full production run worth, about 350 gallons. Being the Elon Musk of the day, cost was no object, so a deal was made and the ice cream was produced, perhaps with the help of Buster Olney's cows. An entire room was cleared out in the desert inn and turned into a giant freezer to hold the frozen bounty. The ice cream took a while to make, and when the first batch arrived and was brought to him, he said, I'm tired of banana nut. I think I'll just go with French vanilla now. As a result, the Desert Inn announced a new promotion, free banana nut ice cream for every customer. Allegedly, it took over a year to give it all away, and some stores say they never gave it all away. I'm surprised there are no littles that work for Baskin-Robbins. That, next page, can hook you up, but I suppose that not being an eccentric billionaire has its limitations. It's a wonderful email. Isn't that great? From Alex Fry in Towson, Maryland. I bring you good news of a suitable replacement. Maybe not as good as Lionel Vital. H back from Nichols State to the Joe Gibbs football team of 87 who let all replacement rushers for the first three games, but I digress. Damn worth a try are two coffee ice cream options from Trader Joe's. The first, TJ's Brownie Crisp Coffee Ice Cream Sandwiches, and the other being TJ's Coffee Bean Blast Ice Cream. They won't be available at the Refugee Safeway, but I'm sure Nigel will be more than happy to pick up a pint or two for you to try at the Trader Joe's on Wisconsin Avenue and Chevy Chase after picking up Bethesda Bagels. I would advise Nigel going rather than you having to navigate their smaller, anger-inducing parking lot behind this particular <laughs> Never store. go to the lower level there. It'll tear your lungs out, <laughs> Never. Jim. Give them a try and hope one of them will soothe the pain of losing your beloved Baskin-Robbins Dunkin' Coffee Ice Cream collaboration. If this does, in fact, work, consider it payment for years of entertainment from the Washington Post of the podcast. P.S. Would you be up for an NIL deal for my seven-year-old son's travel soccer team? The space available is the bottom of the back of the shirt. You know, the part that gets tucked in. <laughs> Very good. From Landon Bruff. Pronounced Bruff. B-R-U-O-U-G-H. And I never would have said Bruff. Never. I'm a veterinarian that practices in Mesa, Arizona. Chessie recently had a bout of vomiting and diarrhea, which I hope has a speedy recovery. And the discussion led to the toxicity of chocolate for dogs, that you should never give dogs chocolate, and that Nigel never understood that. So here is a bit of information for you, Nigel. There are compounds in chocolate called methylxanthines, specifically theobramine and chocolate. You and I can eat chocolate without an issue because we metabolize these compounds rather quickly. Our canine friends do not. This leads to higher concentrations in the bloodstream leading to gastrointestinal signs, urinary incontinence, and diarrhea. And as clinical signs progress, it can lead to arrhythmias of the heart, seizures, and death. It is best to contact your local veterinarian if your dog ingests any form of chocolate. 
But a good thing to know is that the darker the chocolate, the more lethal it can be. Other things you should avoid feeding your canine companions include grapes and raisins. This can lead to acute kidney disease and possibly death just from the ingestion of a few grapes, macadamia nuts, which can lead to hind limb paralysis. This is luckily reversible. Artificial sweeteners, especially xylitol or birch sugar, which can lead to hypoglycemia and seizures. So check the bag of your gummy bears first. And oh, you should probably avoid feeding your dog plastic frisbees. Mm. You think chicken bones are the only thing that can rupture an intestine? but what do I know? I'm only a doctor of veterinary medicine, after all. Thanks for letting me share some knowledge. I might not be a flying vet, but I would love to be the official veterinarian at Tony Kornheiser's show if the title hasn't been taken. If it has, I would hope I could still have the title anyway. You can, but I want to get to you, Landon Bruff, because I, she eats these Frisbees all the time, and she vomits. You know, two and three days later, she vomits, and a bunch of plastic Frisbee parts come up. So I always felt that that was good, that she cleared her system out, that she was okay. But if you email me, and I will pay attention to it, we'll stop the Frisbees. We'll find something else. But if you tell me, no, this isn't working, it's long-term bad, I'll stop it. From Alex Schwarm in Glen Ridge, New Jersey, I always assumed chocolate was bad for dogs, even though my great-grandfather routinely fed chocolate to his rat terrier during his final years. Maybe it was macabre effort to end the dog's life before he passed. I distinctly recall visiting him as a young boy, and he'd pull out a box of Russell Stovers to offer to the dog while the great-grandsons were merely giving Hershey kisses. He did this all as he sucked on a camel cigarette while hooked up to an oxygen tank. He was an iconoclast. The terrier outlived him and later died of a broken heart, or maybe it was the lack of chocolate in her diet after the old man passed the dinner in. Hope Chessie feels better. That's one of the greatest emails we've ever had. The, the just contempt for it. It's just so wonderful. Yes. Jonathan in California. With the news that USC and UCLA are both looking to move to the Big Ten Conference, does Los Angeles leap Toronto in Wilbon's ranking of great Midwest cities? <laughs> P.S. I stayed at a four-season residence in Whistler, British Columbia, in a four-bedroom plus den layout. A ten, yes, ten bathrobe situation Oof. with special ones fitted, especially for the kids under 12. It's really good. Joe Rudden, or Rudin, in Mount Airy, Maryland. So Kyrie and Kevin Durant stick it out together for the Nets because they're friends, right? Except Kyrie opts in, of course, and a day later, Durant wants a trade. How great is that? Even Durant is sick and tired of Kyrie and waited for his best friend to opt in and be locked in before requesting the trade. So poetic. I guess that means Kyrie will have to take on managing and coaching duties by himself. P.S. Durant for Beal straight up, right? I mean, we all know that KD would love to play in D.C., right, right? No. <laughs> we don't know that. No. And you're not going to go straight up for Bradley Beal. No. I don't care what the money works out to. <laughs> Because then, then the people in Brooklyn will go, well, what do we need this guy for? Right. We're stuck with Kyrie. What do we need another guard, shooting guard for? Jeff Karen, Jackson, Mississippi. The other day I heard Luke Russert dismiss Haribo as gas station gummies. <laughs> Ouch. Luke doesn't like those? I oh, guess come on strong for yeah, the gummy bears. Rather contemptuous, yeah. From David Parsons the Coca-Cola in ones. Palm Beach, Florida. I wanted to share a picture of my daily 2 p.m.-ish snack to get me through those afternoon doldrums. Cottage cheese and Skittles. I'm sure it worked just as well with gummy bears. You're welcome. And one more. From Jonathan um, Sesapansky. I hope I pronounced that correctly. In Beltsville, Maryland, Sesapansky. You don't know, don't know why wolf pee or human hair works to stop deer munching on your flowers? Let me pee on your steak or put some of my hair in your gazpacho and see if you have a pleasant dining experience. It's fantastic if you're out on your bike tonight. Do wear white. But we don't have the chaputzfa to do it.
neck hurts Holding my head up straight So long My feet hurt Standing in one place Oh, oh.